Welcome. Welcome back to Love's Labour's Watched. Everybody, we are a bi-monthly pop culture and entertainment focused podcast with a women interest dint. Um, and we're back for another episode. How exciting is that? Yeah, so in case you haven't listened before, um, I'm Francesca. I'm Helena. And we are Love Savers for We are both 20-somethings who live in London and work in the media. This is why we are authorities and why you should listen to us, because you know what we're talking about. Absolutely. And this week, we have well, an interesting episode lined up for you, yeah. uh, framed around the new book, A Love Story for Bewildered Girls, which came out in February of this year, February 2019, mm-hmm. uh, written by first-time debut author Emma Morgan. Yes, who we had the really exciting opportunity to talk to. Um, so this episode is going to be a chat with her all about her book and how she came to write it, the scheme in which she worked with Penguin to get it published, um, and just generally kind of what the book means to her and kind of a bit of discussion on our side as well on what the book meant to us and how we found it since we read it beforehand, before talking to her, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about some of the themes of the book. It's a book about modern relationships, uh, familial relationships, friendships... And I suppose being a woman in the 21st century, really. Yes, which as women in the 21st century, this kind of stuff is like, yeah, we want to, we want to hear about it, you know. It's it's um that's how I kind of heard of it. Like, well, I suppose I heard of it and I immediately was like, that sounds like something I would enjoy, you yeah, know, would find relatable. Um, it's interesting because it's definitely in its in its cover, etc., very um, pitched towards millennial women. It's yes. like this kind of salmony orange colour with like pink writing yes and like winky faces which sounds a lot more seductive than it is it's more kind of like it's very Oliver Bonus yes oh my gosh you're completely right if you saw an Oliver Bonus you would be like that's Oliver Bonus oh my gosh you're so completely right yeah so it's very much the kind of book that you you pick up it's kind of you know, uplit chiclet. So, for sorry, for the non-publishing orientated, it is like uplit. So it's kind of literary, but not. It's kind of more commercial, and also chiclet. So feminine literature aimed at women, basically, is definitely what I would say the genre is. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's it's also got a, a sense of the unconventional about yes. it, uh, which we discussed a bit more in the interview. But she, I think, Emma Morgan wanted to write about real life issues and real women um, yeah. you know they don't feel like character I mean they are characters in a book but they don't feel like two dimensional yes you know so it's very exciting so we're going to segue into chatting to Emma um, and then we are going to chat a teeny bit about after that um, about the new Netflix show Dating Around since we're talking about relationships in this episode and we might gently talk about uh, online dating in the 21st century as well as part of our conversation because uh, we're both modern women and we both participate in online dating. So it's a fun packed episode. It is, yeah. Yeah, so I've done a bit of work in publishing industry and I noticed from your blurb and from reading a bit about the book that you were part of the Penguin Right Now scheme mentoring scheme, which I thought was really interesting because obviously their point and their idea is to try and, you know, as they say, get new novels that are interesting and dynamic and are talking about things that other novels aren't talking about kind of into the world. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your experience of that. Yeah, um, I got on that scheme in March, I think it was 
2017, which seems like a very long time ago now. It took a long time for the book to come out, which really surprised me. The publishing industry seems very slow. Yeah. Um, but no, they were absolutely brilliant. All that happened is I got on the scheme with other 11 people, and then I was assigned a mentor who I then worked with for about a year on the book. And um, I had had, I'd written about half of it before, so we really worked very intensely on it and eventually came up with a full manuscript. But it's such a good programme. I was in the first year of it and now they've had about 30 people on it in total because they've been running it for three years and it seems to be doing really well and giving people opportunities perhaps wouldn't have been able to, to even get near the publishing industry in the past. Yeah, that's absolutely, it's so true. And I think what I've read, I've seen some other books that have come out of it and it seemed really as if, you know, the, the scheme is there to try and publish unheard writers and it really seems to be doing its job. And did you kind of find that, you know, your manuscript came in to the scheme kind of half done? Did you find that your editor really helped you shape it or did you have a real thing in mind what you wanted to do from the beginning? Well, I'm, um, I'm not a planner. At all. I wish I was a planner. <laughs> I've tried, but I, I'm not very good at that. So I just go ahead and rush out these drafts and hopefully um, make a shape of something. So she really, she picked up on ideas that she was really interested in and um, we, we developed it like that. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that kind of leads us quite nicely onto one of our next questions that we wanted to ask you, which was really about, about the, the theme and, and the subject of the book, uh, we thought it was about modern relationships, both romantic and familial, and obviously friendship is a really big part of the book, um, and very much with a focus on women and women's experiences. Why, why did you want to write a book about those themes? Well, I decided off, um, I, I didn't think that I was writing a romantic book at all at the beginning. Mm. I started off writing something about sisters. I knew there was this character called Grace, um, I knew that she had a lot of sisters and had come from this big, slightly eccentric family. Um, and I knew that she was gay and fine with that and, and had had problems maybe when she was a child knowing that. But as an adult, that was all fine. And that's all I knew at the beginning of the book. So as it developed and I developed the other characters, um, more romance, if you like, came into it. But it, from right from the beginning, I was very interested in the whole role of sisterhood and female friendship and then there's also things about relationships between women and their mothers um not so much with their fathers but um yeah that's that's the kind of the way that it went yeah and I, I guess that kind of makes me think of the title as well because I think the title's very striking a love story for bewildered girls did that come towards the end of the process or was that something that an idea you had earlier well, there was a completely different title, which I won't tell you because it might ruin it for right. you, <laughs> which didn't work. Um, so my editor said, you really need to come up with something different. And so I wrote down loads and loads of stuff. And eventually that's what I, I came up with. I just, I got the word bewildered stuck in my head. And I really like that word because it basically means to be led astray. Yeah. And oh. I, I thought, oh, that's, that's, that fits the book really well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. The kind of the women led astray by, I guess, romance convention, that kind of thing. And the female friendships as being important in bringing them back. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, so leading on to that, your characters are such a key part of your book. And as you've kind of just said, you know, Grace came to you first and she, you know, seems to have been the main starting point for your book. So, you know, Grace, Annie and Violet are all, I guess, kind of similar in some ways and different in others. Um, and I really liked how dynamically different they were in lots of ways. Um, kind of how did you kind of come up with them and what were you looking to achieve by creating these three different characters? Well, I I get things in my head. I get very obsessive about things and things get stuck in my head even from years and years ago. Um, as I said just now, Grace was the thing with the sisters because I know someone who has four, which I always oh. thought was a lot of sisters to yeah. have. <laughs> yeah. And I have two, so I was really interested in that dynamic and that's really where her character came from. Annie um, came from two girls I met many years ago at university who were from Lancashire and they were both lawyers and they just had these amazing accents that I, I come from Guernsey originally so I'm not used, I wasn't used to the variety of English accents yeah. and they had these amazing rich accents which I'd never heard before um, and that really struck me and that's obviously stayed in my head for a very long time I thought ah oh, I'd like to make this really successful, powerful woman with an accent that other people might judge her by. Um, Violet came about because I read um, an article in a magazine about uh, a woman who was described as tiny as a compliment. Right, (laughs) right. Which which I I understand where that came from. Um, But... I wanted to write somebody who, for, for whom being tiny was not a compliment. It was something that she felt was negative about herself, and she feels very um, negatively, I suppose, about her size and how small she is, and she'd much rather be a bigger, louder person, but mm. she, she doesn't know how to become that sort of person. So all the characters came from very small, specific things that I've carried around in my head and, and then just developed. Yeah, absolutely. I think Violet's a really interesting one. Um, uh, as a as a tall person, <laughs> I think <laughs> I, thinking about her problems as a small woman, you know, she describes being picked up by men and all these kind of things, literally, um, because of her stature. And I think what's all, what was interesting also was paralleling that with a sort of social anxiety, depressive kind of nature about her as well. Um, what were you kind of, what kind of journey, Violet's journey is, I think, really an interesting and quite compelling one. What were you kind of trying to achieve with having her kind of go through that kind of problems as well? I just like the idea of somebody who's very, very fearful of the world and who whose best friend was completely the opposite yeah. and her having to to deal with that and gaining quite a lot of strength from her friendship with Annie yeah. um, for that reason. And I wanted to see how she would deal with her anxiety and depression, which she calls the fear yeah. in the book, um, and how she would manage to, to get out of it in perhaps not the most conventional way. She she goes through various different things which she tries, which you know, including going to see a tarot reader at one point, and, <laughs> and none of them seem to work. And eventually she comes up with a solution that no one could really have predicted at the beginning of the book. And I, I like that idea. I've suffered from anxiety myself, and I think that you need to come up with your own way to deal with it rather than, you know, going along with prescriptions that other people think is the best idea for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And even with her friendship with Annie, who is constantly questioning what she's doing and whether she's doing it right. Um, I thought that was a very interesting thing to add in as well, because obviously lots of people dealing with someone, dealing with someone like this would try and be prescriptive, wouldn't they? Absolutely. And Annie, Annie is and she isn't. She seems to be on the outside because she's quite a, a strident, quite a, almost bossy personality. And she seems to be sort of pulling Violet out of the bed sometimes, yeah. literally, yeah. and saying, you know, just sort yourself out, get on with it. But I think in private, she's got doubts about that approach, as I think many people have. It's, it's very, very difficult to deal with somebody um, suffering in that way. And most people in that circumstance wouldn't really know what to do. Um, so I think that's quite a... I took that attitude and gave it to Annie as quite a typical sort of attitude yeah. that people do have who don't understand what anxiety is like. You know, sort of put yourself together, get on with it. But of course, for most people, it doesn't actually work. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I also liked how, you know, you've got Violet who perhaps has what we would very much classify as you know, an issue that she's dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, everybody in the outside world can kind of perhaps see that too. And then you've got someone like Annie, or even someone like Grace, who perhaps outwardly seems very put together and, um, you know, to have, like, various aspects of their life sorted, you know, in, in inverted commas. Uh, but actually, they've also got other things going on and doubts and also go through quite a transition and a, and a journey in the book. Um, and I thought you very much... You parallel these three stories, but they also and they intertwine in parts, but they also stand as like three separate but equally as valid um, descriptions of modern female lives, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I um, I when I initially started this book, I'm, I was younger than I am now. I won't say how young or how old I am, and um, uh, but I've come to see that through talking to women who are younger who were sort of about the age of uh, of the women in the book it was sort of late 20s early 30s that um the things that i felt when i were younger have not changed at all mm-hmm. this general sort of feeling that you should be doing better and that you should have everything sorted out and not if you've got one thing sorted out you know, like in, with both Annie and Grace, their, their careers are going very well, mm. then you should have the rest sorted out at the same time. Mm, yeah. And I think that must be really, as I remember it being really difficult, and I think that's exactly the same as far as I understand it as it is now. This, and I, I almost think it's like an early midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we can we can, we can both, both relate. Yeah. <laughs> we can both relate. And that was the great thing about the book, is everyone we had read reviews of said it was so relatable. And then reading about what these three women kind of are going through, and paralleled with their families too. I have a big family as well. Uh, And the madness of trying to look after their elderly relatives Mm -hmm. while also having their kids and the various different siblings, I thought was so, like, kind of on point, you know? Brilliant. I'm glad you thought that. (laughs) I also think one way in which you kind of get into them, you get... you you get into the mindset of all the three women um, and you obviously jump from character to character and you have this very specific structure. It's almost theatrical in that you start each section by saying, you know, this is Annie doing whatever she's doing or this is Grace, you know, with Sam or whatever it might be. Um, and it's, yeah, it's the sort of dramatic instructions of immediately taking the reader into that into that moment. Was that something you had in the book from the beginning? Like, how did you develop that? that way of kind of structuring the book 
Yeah, that was there right from the start. I, I think that's to do with me having a very short attention span. Oh. <laughs> so deciding to put it in short chapters, but possibly because um, I've always done most of my reading before I go to bed. Mm. And I, I don't know about you, but I hate that feeling of trying to leave something in the middle of a chapter. Yeah, and then yeah. when you pick it up, the book up again, you've completely confused and you've forgotten where you were. Yeah. Um, and I thought if I wrote this this book in, in really quite short chapters, then you could finish one or two before you go to bed, know where you are, and next time you start, you won't be confused. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think that works well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's a very succinct answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is honestly how, how it developed, and it was in the book from, like, from the very beginning, even yeah. before I started working with Penguin. I always envisioned it as, as that sort of structure. I guess in, in some ways you don't notice something being a bit different and innovative. I remember reading and being like, this is this. Oh, okay, right, I can now reshift where I'm going in my head. And we were talking before about how you know, the balance between the three stories is quite well handled given that there's three different stories running through the book. Um, and actually just to take a completely different approach, which isn't so different, but is actually very useful. Mm. It's something that you saying that suddenly made me think, oh yeah, like, it's really simple, isn't it? You just want people to be able to keep up. Yeah, I just don't want people to be lost. Yeah. And, to, and because they have such three separate characters and three very separate stories although they do interlink and intertwine in some ways mm-hmm. um i just didn't want people to be confu- well bewildered yeah. I want, <laughs> yeah. sorry i didn't want people to be confused and i wanted them to be able to follow the thread through the book so that even if you go back to the beginning you can just read one person's chapters all the way through as a separate story if you if you wanted to yeah and did you did you write it in that way too? Because I know sometimes you hear of people who have a book with multiple strands actually writing one strand and then you know writing the other and then sort of mixing them in later on. Yeah, I I wrote it all over the place to be honest. I don't I'm not very organised like that. So sometimes I'd write one person, sometimes I'd write another person. Um, I mixed it up a bit. Well, what I did do towards the end is I wrote every single chapter down on a card. Um, and then arranged it all really prettily on my table mm-hmm. and took a picture of it to prove that it wouldn't be so yeah. pretty. And and then I knew that I could follow the strand, each strand all the way through. Yeah, it's very aesthetic too, like a physical manifestation of your book laid out on a table with different cards. Oh, it was so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I felt I was in control of it and I knew where I was going. So yeah. that gave me a great deal of sort of uh, pleasure, yeah. No, it sounds like a great technique. Um, and we're kind of talking a teeny bit now about uh, your book kind of being slightly different than other books, even without, you know, completely being noticeable. Um, the book itself, obviously, is dealing with female friendships as well as female sexual relationships. Kind of in some ways, we thought, taking, like, I don't know, the tropes you see in Bridget Jones or that kind of thing of man, women meet man, women think about man, everything turned out well in the end, as turning on its head a little bit and kind of defying romantic conventions, even if you didn't mean to start it as a romantic novel. Um, Kind of what's your take on that when applied to your book? Well, I like to think in some ways it's a rom-com and then some ways it's an anti-rom-com. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's both 
at the same time because I'm a bigger fan of rom-coms on film. It's always been my guilty pleasure until recently I decided that I I wasn't going to have any guilty pleasures anymore. I'm yeah. just gonna you know <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> I might as well just admit to everything that I that I deep down liked and, and was slightly ashamed of. Um, so I think that I was really into the idea of writing a romantic comedy but it didn't didn't quite pan out like that in the end without yeah. giving the end away yeah. um i tried my best but um no it just sort of went a bit off piece really yeah i think that that makes it you know to go back to that relatability element you know you've all we've all been there when you're like you meet someone and you are a bit swept up in it mm-hmm. it doesn't always pan out yeah. perfectly as it often does in movies you know um so i think that was quite that was quite refreshing but it's still got this like very hopeful element to the book um, I I think that most people I think that one thing that most people share in common is that all the expectations that they have at the beginning of a relationship that this is going to resolve all your problems and this person is perfect and wonderful and it's all going to be amazing yeah. and of course it never quite works out like that whether the relationship ends up succeeding or not and you have to take on your own flaws and the other person's flaws as well and decide whether or not you can can live with them or not yeah it's, it's interesting you touched on um like your love of romantic comedy movies um like did you think of would you ever imagine the book on screen in some capacity whether that is a movie or more of like a mini series or you know some, something like that has mm-hmm. that ever come in into your thoughts wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'd be so chuffed um, i think because I watched a lot of rom-coms on film and always have since I was a teenager, I think that I played a little film as I was writing it in my yeah. head. Oh, yeah, sure. So I... it already is a little film in my head. If anyone wanted to put it on the screen, that would be fantastic. I'd, I'd jump at the chance. <laughs> I think that there's certainly some elements that I thought were quite cinematic, like the the bit where... Oh, I, actually, no, I was going to say something, but actually it's a spoiler, so I won't say it. Um, <laughs> okay. But I think some of the kind of physical settings of, like, the houses that they live in, I felt were very well realised. Um, and to ask a kind of different question, to avoid my spoiler, uh, you, okay. you set it in, in the north of England, in, in Leeds specifically, um, which was quite refreshing in itself in that so many books are set in London or mm, New York or, like, yeah. um, you know, these sort of what we think of as main hubs, but actually there's so many other very interesting settings for your, for, for novels. Um, so why was that? Was that is that somewhere that you have an affinity to? Mm. Well, yes, definitely. And also, um, I've not spent much time in the south of England. Because, huh. um, yeah, because I'm originally from Guernsey, which yeah. is a bit of an anomaly and not quite the same as, as the south. It's, it's strange in its own right. Um, I've spent a lot more time in the north of England. So it seemed quite natural to me to, to set it there. I, did, I never really thought of setting it in London or anywhere else. And it's only um, later that I realised that that was actually quite unusual. Yeah, yet another unusual thing kind of coming out <laughs> of your writing that you don't see until suddenly you're like... Because I remember reading and I kept being in my head, I kept forgetting it wasn't set in London. Yeah. And then being like, why are they talking about Manchester? Oh, wait, it's because they don't live in London. And I think it's definitely something that is you know, to go back to the publishing industry a bit, this that is a trope of the publishing industry at the minute, that it's London-centric and it's not always, um, you know, LGBTQ plus friendly and thinking about friendship rather than romance. So I think in some ways, you know, this book is being actually able to take conventions and kind of turn them over, even if 
technically it's not doing them too what's the word explicitly yeah and almost that actually it that that shouldn't be unusual you know that that shouldn't be unusual but it, it at the moment it still kind of is um absolutely it shouldn't it shouldn't be unusual and that was part of the reason that i was on the penguin scheme Okay, so again, big thank you to Emma for talking to us. Um, It was really great. I said to Francesca just afterwards um, that, you know, it's a a different and unique thing to be able to talk to the person who created this art, this book, this music, you know, to be able to actually talk to the author themselves is actually a real illuminating way to actually think about the piece of art as the book is that you've just kind of like consumed. 100% yeah because we were saying how you know you you read something and you form opinions and you perhaps you voice your opinions to other people who've read the book Mm. uh but that's not the same as speaking to the person who from whose mind it was created you know that's really quite fascinating and um I thought yeah Emma brought up a lot of like interesting points that very much like did illuminate my reading experience oh absolutely I think that there were things you know that you might have heard Manu Francesca's sort of general like Oh, when she was explaining why she decided to structure the book in the way she structured it, and she says very simply, well, I thought it'd be easier to read, and it's the way I like to read books. And we were like, of course. Like, wow. And I think, especially when you're, you know, English students, like we have been in the past, you tend to read a lot into things, or blah, blah, blah. And actually hearing why somebody made the conscious decision to structure their work as they wanted to, you're like, wow, that explains it for me. That's demystified kind of the whole process. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the way she described how some things had had been part of the story from the beginning and uh-huh. that was one of them that yeah. structure and then other things perhaps came later like yeah. the, fo- the focus on romantic relationships um and like overall i think the real strength of this book is the characters and yes. the way their stories unfurl um you know it's not necessarily like a plot heavy book really um, no, it's it is much more about how these three women deal with the various, yes. you know, ups, ups and downs. downs. <laughs> not planned. Oh my gosh, ups and downs. We couldn't have planned that. We? No, we could not have. Yeah, the ups and downs that come their yeah. way. Um, and I think she 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 uses. I don't think we mentioned this in the interview, but it's like it is written in like the third person. Yeah. Um, but you very much get into the, the head of, yes. of, of whoever It's a lot of stream of consciousness, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The whole idea that, like, you know, no matter who you are or what you're going through or what age you are or what gender you are or what your sexuality is, um, and I think, as we'll talk about in a second, dating around showed this too, yeah. that actually the concerns you feel and the fears you feel in dating and relationships and actually the reliance and the stability that like actual friendships and family can give you is universal and the kind of stuff you know the kind of she was being like yeah i feel like the kind of things that i was writing about are still reunited now me and francesca are like oh tell us about it so i think that's the key that is the key thing and i understand as from a publishing perspective too why you would choose to publish a book like this because it does get to the heart of modern relationships in a very sally rooney-esque way that actually has been heralded as you know a very like relatable and therefore pointed and poignant kind of writing. There was um, Sally Rooney did a, a short story recently in uh, the New Yorker, yeah, and then she did a kind of interview to correspond with that. And in the interview, 
she was asked, oh, you know, your characters don't always reveal their motivations for what they, why they do what they do. Yeah. Like, why is that? And what, and what, and why do you think they do what they do? And she, her answer was essentially that she doesn't always know why she yeah. does things that she does. Yeah. Like, fair enough. And that means that she was trying to reflect that in her writing. Like, you know, somebody, like, some often in her writing, I feel like, so in this, in this short story, there's a scene where two people, it seems like they're about to make this connection and then it kind of doesn't happen because yeah. they sort of both mess it up, I suppose, but also you don't really know what either of them actually wanted in the first place. Yeah. And I think although you're in their mindset, like you're in their heads, they don't make it clear to you what their motivation is. And I think actually that's that's what real life, that's what being a human is. Like you're not always like, okay, so I'm going to make this decision because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. And even if you do start out in a situation in that way, things can take a turn that like... Yeah, and happen. and modern relationships and dating, to come back to the theme of this episode, mm. is a key facet and key um, prism through which to um, explore these kind of because these kind of contradictions in human nature and in human decision making because you know in a job you have rules and hierarchies and families you kind of have rules and hierarchies in lots of ways but in dating as i've said to you the last <laughs> quite often the last couple of weeks uh, months has been like there are no rules there are no guarantees so you know exploring these kind of contradictions in human nature when it comes to actually using dating as an exploratory measure i think is actually very powerful as things like, you know, dating around this uh, Evan Morgan's book have shown us. Yeah, and I think one thing the book, uh, A Love Story for Bewildered Girls, does discuss is the different ways in which the characters react when they're in relationships. Yeah. Someone like Violet, who feels very nervous about her interactions with the world and is quite hesitant and, um, you know, really, we feel, only feels comfortable with Annie, her, her closest friend, she when she has a partner like who she meets kind of midway through the book mm. that changes in, to a degree and she and i think she's you, you feel that she is much more comfortable mm. when she's with her but equally you know the relationship she has with this partner is very much defined by the partner and defined by the partner's space you know yeah and it's not actually you feel there are both positives and negatives so you feel like it brings out in some ways it makes her a bit more yeah. at ease with herself yes. and a bit more confident but on the other hand that confidence ultimately has to come from her and actually this this relationship isn't necessarily what you think it is and I actually think that's a common theme in the book that yeah. the, the relationships that the different characters embark upon don't always plan out the way they and we, we talked about that in the interview didn't we like, yes. they don't always plan out the way you think they will for example like Grace is with somebody who she kind of ends up learning isn't what she wants yeah. and a lot of it is her continuing to be okay with a relationship that actually from the outside you're like no this isn't what you want but from the inside she's like i want to be with this person um it just shows you frighteningly how easy it is to you know compromise in in relationships in a way that actually is not okay and how hard it is sometimes to break away from something that you really want because it's not something that really works for you and isn't actually going to be good for you in the long term and I think that was quite one again another compelling thing about the book was reading that and then you're like oh god like A can happen to anyone and B it's so easy to put yourself in a position where in dating particularly where it isn't exactly good for you and it isn't exactly what you want but you go along with it anyway because dating feels good no matter who it's kind of with and it was interesting when she talked about the title, the the, the term bewildered. Yeah, like, yeah. Off air, we both said how like we didn't we when we 
saw the word bewildered, we interpreted it much more as just like confused. You weren't aware of me, um, yeah. Or uncertain. Yeah. And the idea of it being like actually being led astray or being kind of taken off path, um, as, as that being the meaning. It, yeah. It works very well in that context of what you were just talking about. And it definitely, for me, contextualised and helped to like bracket the book and the storylines in a way that I actually hadn't considered before. You know, it's a book about being led astray and the powers that can bring you back, in, not into line, because what is, you know, what is normal, what is into line, but the powers that can bring you back Actually, to so. a life that you want. So, uh, overall, liked the book, enjoyed talking to the author, and I think it spurs some really interesting discussions. And Dating Around is something that Francesca started watching a few months ago, this Netflix show that I've now watched a couple of episodes of. So, uh, we're going to now move on to chatting about those things. Yeah, so dating around, I stumbled across on Netflix. I guess when it had just first been like added, it must have been advertised to me. Yeah, and it's a show, you know, in in the vein of quite a lot of other reality shows, like uh, the British show First Dates or Celebs Go Dating, which yeah. is basically when people get set up on blind dates and you watch and them. you watch it. Yeah, and <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like the epitome of a voyeuristic reality tv to a degree Ooh, voyeuristic love it good word <laughs> but, uh, but you know we're always interested in seeing how humans react when they're like i don't know why i keep saying humans today it makes me sound a bit like some weird humans scientist. she's an <laughs> alien <laughs> people would be like she doesn't understand anything about people <laughs> when people um, yeah when people uh meet people someone new for the first time yes. and like how they interact and like whether it goes well or not goes well you know so horrendously awkward i literally watched some some um dating around today because i want to do some market you know some research for the podcast and i literally felt so awkward the entire time i don't know if you felt that but i yeah. did yeah so i so i started watching it i think also i maybe saw people talking about it on twitter a bit oh yeah um and it's got this like glossy um it's very like pretty stylized yeah. stylized kind of very american yeah. <laughs> um veneer to it that'll be it yeah where you you feel a bit like you're watching an episode of Gossip Girl or something. Oh like, my gosh! In terms yeah, of how it's edited. Yeah, it doesn't feel at all like your Channel Four reality TV <laughs> yeah. show, and that's not to diss that. I don't mean that as a as an insult at all, because some people I don't think would like dating around style because they would find it too like, you know. Oh, it feels TV very like yeah no no it feels very polished like you get no background as to who these people are or why they're going on this show. No. It's kind of like you're spying on other people's dates, except you're not, because this, you know this person has gone on... So the whole style is that this one person, male or female, goes on five, one, five first dates yeah. with five different people, and then the whole idea is that at the end you learn who they went on a second date with, and then that's all you learn. And you don't know who these people are, where they came from, why they were at the restaurant. They were all at the same restaurant doing yeah, so the same thing. They edit it together in a very seamless way, which basically means that the, the deity yeah. wears the same outfit, which... Um, it's confusing as well. Yeah, and then they'll, they're obviously in the way that you would with several first dates, like talk about similar topics. So yeah. they might be like, do you have any brothers and sisters to like one of the dates? And they'll talk and then they'll kind of edit it into one of the others talking. Yeah. Um, which means that at times you can kind of see how two different people might answer the same question. Yeah. Or how the deity tells the same story in a slightly different way to yeah. two different people. No, absolutely. Um, which is quite one of the ways in which it's quite fascinating, I think, because you realise how, like, you know, say the first guy, you know, like, there'll be some people who that he clearly tells a story to and they, like, immediately get it or they find it funny and then there'll be someone else who, like, doesn't. Yeah. And I think, yeah. actually, I mean, the very first guy who's on it who's just, like, real estate 
Like, white man. <laughs> white man. Yeah, he's not very interesting. He's good looking, I guess. Some of the other people who were on it later, I think, are much more dynamic. And kind yeah. Of in, you're much more, like, in their camp, I suppose. But even then, as you say, you don't know anything about them. So, like, you don't know... All you, you, there's a very... There's a few voiceovers at the beginning from, like, their friends. But it's never... It's very, it's it's never very said who they are or what the questions they've been asked are, you know? No, no. It's just... They'll just be like, oh, such and such. Like, you know, she, she's like... Oh, she should be nice if she met someone. It's like very like yeah. Oh yeah, like this person is like really great but also intimidating. You're like, okay. I mean cool. it, I read um a couple of articles where they said that they wanted to cast people in the show who were not the usual kinds of people who appear on reality shows. Okay. Which like is a very generalised statement because yeah. actually like the the people they have a very diverse range of people on this show. Yeah. Uh people who are looking very, very different kinds of relationships. Like you've got like an older guy who is widowed um who goes on a date with lots of older women which is really that's a good episode because it makes you realize the difference between what it would be like to be dating at that age like on the one hand they bring like years of experience years of stories years of like connections with different people they've made on the other hand there are moments where you're like that is just as cringy or just as awkward (laughs) as like the 25 year old who was on the episode before like um there's they always end up so to go through like the, the kind of uh, way the show pans out, like they go on this date five times. Yeah. But then it will kind of maybe end in a slightly different ways. So sometimes they go on somewhere else. Yeah. Sometimes they go and get like ice cream and another time they'll go get like a drink or whatever it might be. Yeah. And um, some people they won't go on that. They kind of won't. They'll just like end it early. There's one episode where this man has like a massive go at one of the women. But aside from that, like unlike most reality shows, I think it's very drama-free. Yeah. And really, the the drama comes from the little moments that you mentioned of the awkwardness of well, yeah, people interacting. Absolutely. Like, watching it and watching somebody go on five different first yeah. dates with five different women and watching him have the same conversations, kind of be the same person, but five slight different iterations yeah. of the same person. And then, like, thinking to myself... I just stressed myself out watching this guy, Luke, the first episode, look at all these women. And I was like, I can't read his face. I don't know what he's thinking. Which ones does he like? I, I, five different women who give him five different kinds of kinds of women, you know. And I just got so stressed watching him being like, I can't tell what he wants. I can't tell what he wants to do. I, I don't... I don't know who he's going to choose. And thinking to myself, like, what it would be like going on five dates in one go? I'm assuming it's over a course of, like, a week or two weeks or something. And, you know, trying to work out which one you like from just that interaction. Whether you kiss or not, or whether you get along or not, whether you laugh or not. I was getting so stressed. Being like, It's a weird mix of being, like, quite stressful to watch, but also quite satisfying because you're like... Well, I'm not there, so it's fine. It's not me. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, like, I don't know. I guess you kind of think that, like... I was watching it being like, right, so I've now seen five different examples of how you can react on a date and how you can be on a date with one different person. And at least... I don't know. It's like, I remember, I remember I was texting you while I was watching it and there's one woman called Victoria in the first one who's really quirky, really, like, loud and a bit crazy and is kind of like... Blah, blah, and I'm like she's literally me on a date and I'm like great well I think she's interesting so at least like I think she's okay it's interesting because I read a review where they were like oh all the women who are like remotely quirky Mm. quote unquote and like literally they're not even that quirky they're just like tall quite a lot no Victoria's like basically me feel they have to explain themselves a lot yeah constantly like apologise for it yeah 
and I, I just thought that was quite interesting because and, and it's like this woman Victoria like she she's really not like particularly like she's actually probably quite ordinary like in her interactions and like the way yeah. she like she's just a bit more kind of herself perhaps and, and maybe reveals a bit more of her personality which I think probably comes more from like a nervousness that's yeah. how I interpreted it anyway um but it's really hard for you to tell what he thinks about that and at the beginning I was like oh no he's not he's gonna part it yeah um and like she even makes a joke where she's like oh this guy needs to like drink a lot in order for him to like hang out with me literally literally me (laughs) me I also found that very relatable and actually later on you're like oh no maybe they actually are really connecting and of course a lot of it reality tv show editing perhaps it was a lot more obvious who he liked he liked yeah, I think there's some other episodes where, like, they definitely... I think his was perhaps one of the most... The hardest to, to guess. To guess yeah. Because he really didn't reveal much at all about himself. He was very, like, no. a blank canvas. Yeah, he was actually all right. Whereas there are other people who are a bit more... There's, there's one with a, a girl, you should definitely watch that one. Where she, so she's 25. And I actually watched that one first because I was like, well, she's probably the person I'm most likely to relate to. Yeah, my enough. thought process just because she was probably in the most similar situation to me. I mean, actually, she's quite she's quite like a character. She actually got a lot of um, hate, apparently. Like, most people, like, I think, have come over well on it and people have liked them, but people thought she was, like, trying too hard, which is ridiculous. I, know. Um, I quite liked her, but she had, like, a... She's very, like, candid with people. She didn't like them, and one guy, she basically is like, no, nah, like, this is not... Like, I don't think... Like, he keeps making, like, kind of weird sexual innuendo jokes when they're uh. eating. But yeah, it's, I think another interesting thing about the show is you were saying earlier that um, it's very much a standalone. Like you, they don't have anything like six months later. Oh, John and like whoever. John and, and you Grace know, are still together, and like you know, or, or like oh, like, it very queer eye. You, like, know? you don't get any of that. So it's very much like, and it's and at the end as well. Like so, they they meet the person again, uh, who the person they've chosen, and they meet them in some like iconic New York location. Yeah. And it's filmed like the end of a romantic comedy. You know, like they meet them, they like lift them in the air, and then they walk off together down the street. And you know nothing more, and you're like, okay. And it, sure. It, it like allows you to project your own wants and needs, desires yeah. onto it. Yeah. So you can like really root for them and be like, yeah. And then they all lived happily ever after. Except there's no evidence of that at all. No, there's no evidence of that. There's also no evidence to the contrary. I did, I did actually Google if, uh, spoiler. If Luke and Victoria were still they're together, not, they? they're not, are they? No, that's not a great surprise. Though. No, no. And I think, I think what that show did for me thus far was I enjoyed it. It made me incredibly fucking nervous. Um, I guess it sounds kind of like silly to be so in, to be so in depth about it. You know, like it's just a dating show meant to have fun. But for me, it just kind of made me stress because the transient, the transient nature of online dating, I think is actually what it really highlighted to me. Like, that's something that I've been sort of... Actually, and people who I've known who've been on dating apps um, the last, you know, currently and the last couple of months, or actually whenever, like, you know, the last few years, that the problem is still that you are on a dating app, you have no context of who they are, and you don't know if they are indeed on a Netflix show where they are dating five different people as well as you and they're enjoying all of those five people as much as they're enjoying you and then my mind starts to spin down the thing of how do you choose who you're dating if they all seem to go well you know? if you were to follow <laughs> that if you were to follow that model of, of like, trying to find five strangers yeah, to date yeah um, and wearing the same outfit to each one and going to the same place which I guess you could do it's like an experiment but that'd be so weird like I felt bad enough trying to like talk to three different people on one dating app at the same time 
Um, I do not know if I could manage to go on five genuine, like, I'm going to try hard at this date five different times, not least at the same place. You know, like, yeah. I don't know how Luke, etc. from this show managed it. Jeez. Well, also, it's weird in the show because sometimes they make, like, little comments. Like, somebody would be like, oh, I love, like, sea bass. And then he'll be like, oh, let's try the sea bass. And you're like, you just tried the sea bass <laughs> with, like, Jane. They, they all you know? had pad thai. Yeah. You had pad thai, like, three times. It's, and you're it's like, bizarre. oh, it is so bizarre. And I think, oh, I think to see, segue a teeny bit off online off dating around and more into kind of the kind of things it throws up about you know online dating in the modern world it's so different like i was talking to my mom about it um and actually she was like but no one did this when i was younger and i'm like mom when you were younger and beyond my mom was born in the, the 60s and was dating in the 80s i hope <laughs> <laughs> um she you know she was like oh yeah i guess like there were friends of friends you could meet really easily because we all went to like house parties, we all owned our own houses, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, there was like a what? In like the 12, 20s in some town in the UK, there was like a street you could walk up and down to show you were available to the other young men of the oh, area. in the 1920s. <laughs> what do you think I meant? <laughs> what? The early months. <laughs> If there was a street I could have walked out to get a man in the noughties, I would have done it. I was like, I've never heard of this. <laughs> what street is this? I guess it wasn't in London. Like, No. Um, so, you know, and actually in the modern world, you can't meet people, as we had both decried and moaned about this over the last few years, you can't meet people just as you go around in life. Like, everyone is A, too busy... B, half people are not living in flats they can host parties in, no one has the money. And also, I think it's just not really a priority for a lot of people our age anymore mm. to be going around trying to find a long term mate or partner, or whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Even weirder than me being like, humans. <laughs> long term mate. Um, so, actually, it makes sense to me, actually, more now that like Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, the other ones, there are more, aren't there? Happen is one. Happen. Netflix is dating around. You know, <laughs> Hello, you I would like to be on dating. <laughs> I want to go on a date, five dates specifically, wearing the same outfit in the same place. Um, please pick up the people for me. Um, it makes sense actually that the kind of dating that because Netflix is basically touting what is essentially swipe culture dating. Oh yeah, like it. I mean, you know how we said before how like everything Netflix produces is very like carefully tailored to the algorithm to what yeah. they think people want to yeah, watch yeah. and I think this is definitely as I said earlier like it's not just millennials but it very much is skewed towards like people in their 20s and 30s on the show and then there's this one older guy yeah um but most people are quite young and a lot of their conversations you probably noticed are like they talk about like what it's like to live in New York what's well, like, like to their careers yeah yeah and, and like getting on the train and like all these things that are very like what young people are thinking about yeah. um i think it's definitely i think netflix definitely thought to themselves like a lot of people probably are you know not going through such an extreme experience as like luke on dating around but like oh luke are probably going through similar experiences to the people on the show and we'll find that interesting well yeah you can be in the exact same place and has a wildly different experience depending yeah. on who you're talking to um Actually, in some ways, it made me feel uncomfortable, but it made, you know, you said it made you feel more comforted in some ways. That, yeah. like, actually, it's a universal experience. Yeah, I think I think so. And, and, like, other people I know have said the same thing, like, watching it. But, like, yeah, on the one hand, you might kind of, like, internally cringe or feel awkward on behalf of them. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's, like, 
yeah, it's, it's just an interesting reminder that, like, actually everybody probably finds those scenarios, like, quite uncomfortable. But on the other hand, as the show shows, like, there are moments of, like, genuine connection that, like, shine through. Yeah. Which I like, haven't seen one yet, but I'm waiting. There's, like, a couple of episodes where you're like, oh, I actually really feel like those people really hit it off. And then there's also some quite nice moments where you feel like the people have actually become friends. Oh, that's even, nice. And, like, you actually think they might stay in touch as friends, which yeah. is, is nice to see. Um, and I actually wondered, well, you know... Well, I was like on Tinder and then slightly on Bumble, Bumble sucks. Then I was Tindering mostly and then I moved to Hinge and I was, oh, the whole time I was like talking to people and talking to a very, not a very wide variety, but more like, there's lots of different, different people, of people, there's lots of different people on there. Uh, I had some really weird conversations, really weird conversations mm. with people. Um, and I remember just seeing him being like, A, any one of these people I could end up like marrying in the long term, B... I could get like you know sent dick pics which would suck and then see I could become friends with some of these people like I've no, I've heard stories of people who've become friends yeah, with people they've so met nice. on online dating which is like great because it shows you that you can go into a date and be like nah I think we're just gonna be we're just pals right cool and then maybe the great friendship comes out of it and that's still like a really positive outcome yeah. most of the time in dating around it does end with them like going on a second date with someone because that's a format and also as a format you know, it could work in so many contexts. Like, they could take it out of New York. Like, in a queer eye... Queer eye... Queer God, eye like the, style. Like dating them at the Midwest. Yeah, which would be interesting because <laughs> I imagine it would be different. And even want, in, like... Yeah. Even in Europe, like, in the UK, like... I mean, we always joke that Americans are naturally more, like, open and, and like, um, yeah. chatty, for example. Like, yeah. perhaps... So I think there's there's definitely room for it to kind of show different... Other, other experiences. Um, um, yeah, and the first date format, as we know, is not dry in, in whatsoever. I mean, I think like, modern dating is something that, like, is a continuously interesting topic for everybody. Like, you want to be the fly on the wall for dates. You want to watch things like first dates or then date balls or celebrities go dating. And or... it's like when you're in a restaurant and then there's, like, a couple next to you and you're like, oh, I wonder, like, if it's their first date or, like... Oh, God, yeah. Are they arguing or, like, you know, like, you, you know, <laughs> you've kind of got that, like, as I said earlier, like, the voyeurism, like, that natural instinct to yeah. kind of, like, observe and, like, comment. And you'll be like, oh, yeah. no, I don't think he was very into that. Like, you know, we've all done that. No, right? absolutely. So it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, how these formats are so um, universal for everybody and... You know, I mean, God, I get these stupid emails from Tinder every now and again with these stupid articles written like 20 things you shouldn't do on a first day or like, here's the letter I should have written to the person I ghosted. And it's all, oh my God. it's dumb. It's so dumb. But I'm still like, I want to read yeah, it. Yeah, there's an appetite for it. Although I think we should just clarify that obviously not everybody like is involved in romantic relationships no, or wants like, to be absolutely there is yeah. no I feel like we've talked a lot in this episode about things being very relatable and like I'm also aware that like we yeah. are both coming at this topic in the same way that we come at probably any topics from like a very specific point oh, of view and set of circumstances so uh, yeah in no way are we trying to imply that like yeah. everybody's life is like dating around absolutely not I mean our, our lives, lives are not, not like dating around any of our friends would be like in like literally no way like, in literally you know? no way. <laughs> um, I think it's more the fact the point we're making here is that these formats of watching essentially first dates and actually never watching anything beyond that first date because that's what all these shows are focusing on um, is in it's just it's it's very intriguing how these shows continue to do well even if they are a format which i was going to say before which is uh put together and produced yeah because we all know that it's like been storyboarded yeah and that they've they've edited it in such a way to like lead you you know you maybe think he's gonna go off with one woman and then it actually turns out to be someone else so we all know that so the bachelor but at least we know the bachelor is put together but i think it 
I also think actually what a final note perhaps unless you have anything else to add is Oof, that well we've said before how Netflix like lends this air of gravitas to things that perhaps oh, yeah. wouldn't otherwise have that and ultimately like the show is not revolutionary you know it's not it's it's perhaps doing a couple of things slightly differently but overall it's actually very similar to oh, yeah the typography is very interesting that they use <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's basically like just a fancy reality show kind of yeah. vibe it just it's just a, it's a but because it's show. on netflix it has this like seriousness air, yeah and this air of like oh it's something different and it's like we all watch it like whereas if it had been on you know a, a cable Before, show or yeah. something yeah like you know you maybe would have happened to catch it like once but you wouldn't be like sit watching all six episodes in one sitting which a couple of friends of ours told us they did so i just think that's like an interesting one in terms of our regular chats about how netflix has this like monopoly Absolutely. But they just, uh, I, I just think overall, as I said before, Netflix are very good at knowing what the people want. And Which is more Stranger Things, or Total Sunday, oh, wow. oh my god! So that's a quick jump that we'll quickly say that before we end. Jump. It's still Netflix rated, so it's fine. Stranger Things season three. Woo, wow. Also, have you seen they're doing a, a Planet Earth style show? Oh, are they? Oh, yeah. They go. That's Narrated by David Attenborough. It's basically Blue Planet slash Our Planet or Planet Earth. It's called Our Planet. But it's just on Netflix. And I watched the trailer and I was like, no one's ever done something this amazing yeah. before. And it's like, the BBC has. Literally for like 20 years. Yeah, yeah. literally. And it's done by um, uh, Blue Planet and Planet Earth producers. It's right. like, the Netflix have somehow poached them. That's uh, an, an animal joke. Poached them from the BBC as well as locked David Attenborough in a sound room and made him do the recording because he's recorded it too. Wow, that is, that is interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. And of course, Strange Things season three, we're unsure as to how we're going to be able to watch all the episodes in the middle of the week, but we're yeah. going to imagine anyway. So Netflix is like releasing it on the 4th of July. Oh, that's nice. But like the 4th of July is, July is a Tuesday. Yeah. And if you work in the UK or like anywhere outside of America, then you have to work on a Tuesday. So you just have to stay up all night so and watch like, it. And then but like, cool. But, like, that's a cute, like, you know, because we want to have, like, a Stranger Things party. Yeah. You dress up. In, as an 80s fashion, yeah. yeah. But the thing but is, you can't, but you also won't be able to watch it on Saturday or Sunday because everyone you know in the whole world will have watched it by then. So you'll be, like, spoilers abound. Yeah, I mean, I suppose perhaps you could have a party then and re-watch it. But then I guess, is that intense? Is that a bit much? I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going to watch just, I don't, I know me, and I'll just, I'll just want to watch it all in one go and know what happens. Because as we know, I've talked about this before, all I want is Mike and Eleven to be together. I only care about the couples, only ever the couples. So, there we go. I'm, I'm excited for that. Also, Eleven's fashion set, which looks like it's going to be on point. It really does, yeah. It really does. So thank you, Netflix, for all you do for us. Um, and also, thank you so much to Emma Morgan, if we're going to wrap this up, for talking to us about her book, which we found rateable, illuminating, and generally uh, a great example of what the Penguin Right Now scheme is trying to achieve, which is talking about new things with new voices in a new way, you know? Yeah, and if you want to like get hold of her book, you can. It's like in Waterstones, which is where I got it from. Yes. Interestingly, in Waterstones, it was in the specifically in the lgbtq section oh brilliant so it wasn't in i couldn't find it in like the sort of yeah. general fiction that's yeah. where it was it was on a nice display oh lovely um and it's published by penguin viking yes so yeah right uh, well we will see you next time see you. <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs>